Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. I know you still may be recovering a little bit from this past week, and just be glad you're not in one of my classes. I have a reputation for throwing projectiles at those who sleep, uh, but I only have all male classes, so that's why I've done that. Uh, but thanks, thankfully, ladies, you're in here, so the guys are spared from anything coming from the pulpit. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, that's just a bad habit I have. Um, but it's, been, it's really worked well. I'll never forget. <laughs> one of the Reigns twins was out, just out cold in the Sunday school class I taught once. And uh, not Sunday school, but it was on that. And just out cold, and I chucked something at him. And anyway, I, I got his attention, and it was a blessing to have his full focus for the rest of the time. <laughs> so anyway. You know, I was uh, asking the Lord for what to give this morning. I believe the Lord's led me to hear this passage. And you know, we think about what our culture thinks is what life's all about, and it's all about, of course, in our culture here in America, it's about the American dream, it's about enjoying life. I remember when we went on our honeymoon, my wife and I, almost 11 years ago now, to Arizona, and we went to Sedona. Sedona's beautiful. Have any of you been there before? Okay, it is, to me, it's almost rivals the Grand Canyon, even though it's not the same. It's uh, just absolutely a beautiful place, and I can remember, though, while I was there being struck with how many people were living for the environment of that area. In fact, that if you had about 30, 40 years ago had bought land there and held on to it and sold it, you could have been a multimillionaire. Uh, it's become a very, very um, expensive place to live because it's a, it's a very popular place to live and a lot of uh, unusual people live there, uh, a lot of mystical things going on. Uh, I've started to figure out while we were there, but it was interesting. We were at this beautiful chapel building. It's a, I believe it's a Catholic place, but we went to, because of the view, we went to it. It, was, it comes out over some uh, rocks, and you can see a lot of the red rock. But I noticed while I was standing there, uh, as my wife and I were enjoying the sights and each other at the same time, you know, uh, I'm around her and loving being with her on the honeymoon. We did see a few sights together, and the one sight we saw was a, um, a house below this chapel. That got my attention. Jill was looking at the rocks. I was looking at this house. And uh, this thing was mammoth. It probably was a 10 to $15 million home they were still building. It was unbelievable. It was funny they were still building it, and you had this motor home sitting outside of it, not you know, just a, a typical type of trailer. And uh, I don't know who was living in that at the time, but you, know, you had that compared to that house. You just saw that. It was blew me away. And I, and I was quite impacted as I looked around and saw the um, just how many people were, even during that time, were just living for, for just the experience. I, I can remember a few years later, our in-laws gave us the wonderful privilege of going to Kauai, Hawaii. And uh, they flew us out there, and so we got to spend, um, back before we had all these kids. You know, those kind of trips now are pretty much out of the question for a family. Uh, but we had Hannah Lynn, and she was free. She was less than two. And so we, we got to go, and, and, I'll, and I'll never forget the experience of we decide to do one of those timeshare tours. Have any of you done a timeshare tour? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, it's where you get something free on the other end of it. So if you do the tour for it, if you endure them and their sales pitch for an hour, an hour and a half, then you can get a free, you know, whatever. Well, our reward was a free catamaran trip around the south part of the island to the Nepali coast. And the, you know, most of you don't know about what that is. But that's probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. In fact, Kauai is where they film a majority of, unfortunately, not good things, but Hollywood uh, does a lot there because it's an absolutely beautiful island. It's a lot of it's untouched by the commercial side of things. 
And so you, you really have, I mean, it's got the Grand Canyon of Hawaii there, and it's, it's just beautiful. Well, but around the side, they have a, a coast that literally, uh, it, it's, it's a, their cliff's about a mile high, and they go straight into the ocean, and they're just all green, just lush green, and then they go right into this perfectly blue water. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's really neat. Well, I was all into getting that opportunity, and, you know, we could take a free, it was a $300, $250, um, you know, sailboat ride, and uh, we were going to get that free. So I was all in, you know, I mean, hey. So, uh, so we do this. Well, the guy, the guy that did the timeshare tour, he said, look, I just want to tell you, right from the outset, this will not be a high-pressure experience. You know, he was trying to show us he's not one of those kind, you know. And so uh, he said, look, and I want you to know that when I'm done, it'll, it'll, there will be no feelings at all. He said, if you don't do anything, he said, it'll be fine. I think, good, thank you, Lord. You, you got us off the hook here. We're, 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 we're going to be fine. Don't have to deal with this. Because I wasn't worried about falling into something. I'm, I'm pretty good about saying no. My wife's even better about saying no to those things. Um, and uh, just looking at the reality of life. It was a beautiful place that my in-laws had stayed at before. And um, so we were there. And, and uh, so what happened was is that we're doing it. It seemed really low-key. Well, then we get up. We, we start walking upstairs. And we go into this room. And they're showing us. A beautiful, of course, they take you to the best room of all in the hotel, and it's, it's just a view. And literally, when you're standing there, it's just ocean. It, it's just, it is beautiful, and then these cliffs, and it was, it was really pretty. Well, he's standing there, and he said, now, you have a family daughter? Yes, right. And then he started to bring up something. He called it peak experiences. He said, you know, you really need to give your family peak experiences. That's what they'll never forget. And he kept saying peak experiences, and he was building it more and more. I think he thought he had us, you know, because we're nice, you know, we're not mean to him at the beginning and just go along with the thing, you know. And uh, so, well, then he finally tried to go in for the kill. And we're like, no, we just, I said, look, even if I wanted to, I couldn't, you know. I don't have any money anyway, so it doesn't matter. And, and he just looked at me and, and he said, you mean you would not give your family a peak experience? And uh, something, or worse, I mean, my wife's in here, she could confirm. I don't know what he said exactly, but it was, it, it got rough, and he got mad. And everything he promised us at the beginning was a total lie. Uh, and we both came out of there going, well, we got our free sample trip, that was rough. Uh, but he just kept harping on this peak experience, you know, you got to have this kind of a thing. And honestly, it was beautiful. I wouldn't mind it, but it, it wasn't what, what, what we needed or what we should have had. And I've even experienced when I've been around people when they were all geared up for being able to enjoy a trip. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with enjoying good, good things. God gives us those things. I love traveling and so on, but I do a lot less of it now at this point in my life with the stage of life I'm in, which is great. I enjoy, I enjoy taking my kids places. And, but, but the point is, uh, I remember one, one time, it was actually the day of my driving test, and all it was booked out for months. And so I had here in the Milwaukee area, so I had to go to Watertown for my driving test. And, uh, and so we had a friend there in Watertown who kind of guided, it was my mom, uh, she took me, and so we had a friend that guided us on, you know, the streets and understanding it, and then I go for the test. Well, I get in there, and the, it, was, well, it was kind of an off day, they did an extra day there, they had it open up that day, and so the, the, the lady was actually kinda, kind of, um, she had pretty good energy, she was kind of excited, and, and I thought, okay, this is nice, at least she's friendly at this point, because I had heard of one person at Mill Road, that, that place that fails every time, just would fail the person no matter how well they did. They just failed them. So I was hoping I didn't have one of those kind, you know, because I wanted to get this thing over with and done. You know, I was 18 years old. It's time to drive now, and, and I was ready. Well, um, I, I made the mistake of telling her how glad I, about all the experience that I had gotten in driving because they had changed the new rules with the, 
the license and the permits where they had done a transition phase. It used to be you only could drive with somebody 25 years and older, period, in the car. Well, then they changed it to in the back seat. It could be people that are younger as long as you have 25-year-old person or older in the front seat. So I thought, I, I, I said, hey, it was great. She said, what did you do? I said, well, I don't. And she said, that's not legal. I said, I don't think, oh, good night. I'm, I'm already toast. I didn't even start, you know. Well, I showed it to her, and then she, said, she looked at me, and she looked at that, the permit, what it said. She said, why don't they ever tell me about the changes of rules? I said, well, I don't know, but that's what it says, you know. So, but then, thankfully, I got her, her distracted because I realized that she was going, she said, look, I'm working extra day because I'm going on a cruise in two weeks. I thought, great, I'm going to get her thinking about that while we start driving. And uh, sure enough, it worked. I mean, I know I, I miss things. Uh, the only thing she got me on was a little bit of parallel parking. That was it. I passed pretty easily. Uh, but I was all about, you know, I was telling her stories and, and to asking her what she's doing, where she's going, you know, and doing my little thing over here. You know. And it did, I think it worked. Uh, I, it could all be a, you know, a figment of my imagination. It could be totally. But she was totally, I mean, even, even when we finished, she, was, she still couldn't stop talking about this. It was perfect. Um, but she was living for something. that Everything was being put, put into that, and she couldn't wait. You know, of course, I think of right now, some people, all they can think about is the Cubs in the World Series. Um, the Chicago people are nuts. I heard a little bit of people calling in yesterday into Chicago, and I just laughed. I thought, this is insane. Of course, I'm a Cubs fan, but it was over the top. Okay, but people are living for that right now. There's a lot of things that we live for. I think of what Subway says, it's my way. Or Burger King, of course, have it your way. Nike, just do it. Sprite, obey your thirst. Uh, McDonald's, of course, you deserve a break today. Uh, American Express, my life, my card. Uh, Jaguar, don't dream it, drive it. Um, or Lexus, the relentless pursuit of perfection. That's the kind of stuff that's bombarding. And I know most of you didn't come from homes where that was a big deal necessarily, where you just had all kinds of things you could do and, and were able to pursue uh, m material wealth, but you still, young people, you've been bombarded with just that type of thinking, even in a much milder way when it comes to just what is life all about? What's, what's life worth living for? You know, and, and, and what am I living for? Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, we find something in, or very interesting passage. Really, I believe it's the life worth living. And the first chapters before this, though, give us the doctrines of the glory of Christ's person and priesthood, and of course, the great salvation that he's promised to us. Verse 19, though, here's where we're going to start, and this begins a very practical section of the book of Hebrews, and it gives us clearly our duty as believers to appropriate what the great salvation that we have been given. And so let's look here at verse 19. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In this passage, I believe we find very clearly what life's all about. And it's three let us, three commands here. First, let us draw near with a true heart. And that's really the idea of the fact that life worth living is a life that is characterized by a dynamic relationship with God. And then you find in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And that is an unshakable confidence in God. And then lastly here this morning, we're going to look at what verse 24 
says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works. And ultimately, a life worth living is a life that's completely selfless, focused on what God's plan is for today. So the first thing I'd like us to see here, as I just mentioned, is a life worth living is characterized by someone who has a dynamic relationship with God. I think some of the most profound words in all Scripture when it comes to our walk with God and the potential for it are found right here. I'd like you to look with me at verse 9. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. These first three verses here, in looking at this dynamic relationship with God, let, let us draw near. The first three verses I just read to you are God's provision for that relationship. See, when God says, let, when God, well, God encourages us, and the, the challenge here is given by the author of Hebrews, let us draw near, okay? He's saying, I've given you all the provision to be able to draw near. What is that provision? Well, look, there's four things. First, we find in verse 19, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Did you know, and you know this, but the reality of it, did you know that you have entrance into the holy of holies? Into the holiest of all. That's Andrew Murray's commentary title for Hebrews, the holiest of all. Now, I'd like you to just think about on this for a moment. The holiest is God's holy presence and love. Full union and communion with him. In the Old Testament, what was it when it came to the Holy of Holies? Don't go in there. Enter not, right? Who was only allowed to go in? It's the high priest, wasn't it? How many times? Once a year. That's it. So really, the Old Testament is, don't go in. Enter not. In the New Testament, it's completely opposite. Enter in. The veil's been torn. We now have full entrance into the Holy of Holies. In fact, Andrew Murray says, in uh, speaking of life in the holiest, he said, Here the Father's face is seen and his love tasted. Here his holiness is revealed and the soul made partaker of it. Here the sacrifice of love and worship and adoration, the incense of prayer and supplication is offered in power. Here the outpouring of the Spirit is known as an ever-streaming, overflowing river from under the throne of God and the Lamb. Here the soul in God's presence grows into more complete oneness with Christ and more conformity to his likeness. Here each day we may experience fresh anointing and be channels of God's salvation to men. That's the holiest of all. Now, I think many times we really don't understand that. I think we just need to take some time as God's children and say, all right, Lord, what does it mean for me practically to go into the holiest? And just to dwell on the fact that the God of the universe, who for quite a period of time there in the Old Testament would not allow his people like you and me, just to go into that holiest of holies, he now is giving us entrance into that level of communion. What they saw with the cloud and the fire, we experience personally. The Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord, we can experience ourselves. Entrance into the holiest. And the reason we can go into the holiest is because of his blood. Look, having therefore, brethren, boldness. Why do we have that boldness? Because... We can enter into the holiest. The boldness comes because of the blood of Jesus. All right? You know the high priest, if there was any sin at all that he had, the high priest, God would take him right there as he entered into the holiest, the holy of holies. You know what? Christ's blood has removed our sin so that we can enter into that holy place. We, and we know this, but it's good to be reminded of it. Verse 12 of chapter 10 says, But this man, speaking of Christ, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Aren't you thankful for that? The blood of Jesus gives us bold standing in the holiest. We can enter in boldly. Now, you know a lot of times the reason you don't, why you struggle with that, the thought of entering into the holiest? A lot of times it's because you're, you feel unworthy or insecure or introspective. You know, some of you operate a lot by feelings, and so if you're not feeling spiritual or you're not feeling very good about things, you're going to struggle with that bold entrance into the holiest of all. You're not taking the blood. You're not applying the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you're missing this wonderful provision that God's given to us. No matter who you are, the standing is the same. It's the blood. I love what Ann Kenneth B. says, Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. So that's another part of the provision. He's given us entrance into the holiest, and we have that boldness because of the blood of Jesus. But we also find here a very interesting verse, verse 20. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Jesus Christ was our perfect substitute and example, and the example that he's given us and it says here, through the veil that is to say his flesh, that's literally the idea of complete death to self. Do you know how you have entrance into the holiest? You take the position that you have in Jesus. You take the fact that his blood has washed away your sin. You take that standing and you um, allow him to cause you to die to self. Okay? You enter in because of death to self. John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says, For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. John 12, 24, Except a corn or wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.10 Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Jesus has provided us the example and he's provided us the way. Now, by the way, every day is an opportunity for death to self so that you can get to the holiest. You know, today you're going to have a lot of moments that you're going to have an opportunity for death to self. That's God's way for you to enter into the holiest. You know, God's way is always the reverse of what we think. We think of getting into the throne room of God and being there. We think, well, you know, there's something I must attain. That's just our natural. But it's all about actually God's economy says, no, it's complete death to self. You know what that means even today? That means how you respond to maybe correction that God brings in your life, how you respond to another brother, how you respond to a trial or a thing that's not fair is a huge, plays a huge part in how you're going to be able to get to that throne. You know, today, right now, some, some of you are struggling with something. You're frustrated about something that just happened, maybe, maybe this morning, something that somebody said to you, or, or you're, you're, there's something right now that you're holding on to that's clearly about you and about self. And God's saying, look, I provide a new and living way, and it's not that. The way I've, that way I've consecrated for you is through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. It's the ultimate example of that to self. Jesus himself gave his life, and that's why we have entrance into the holiest. And he's calling for us to, to be broken and giving of ourselves. 
Are you saying no to your lust and the temptations that come your way? Death to self. And then the fourth provision, I love this one, in having a high priest over the house of God. See, these are all God's provision for us. He's provided the, the uh, example, but not only that, the way to die to self. He's, he's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us entrance into the holiest. And he is the high priest over the house of God. He's accomplished everything. We can now come to that throne of mercy because of his work. And by the way, the high priest, who is the glorified Jesus, lives inside of you. And you can go directly to your father. So the life worth living begins with a dynamic relationship with God. We've just seen here these first three verses, the provision that God's given. But now let's look at our responsibility. I've touched on that a little bit. But what is our responsibility in the relationship? Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Now how are we to draw near? With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? We've seen the provision. It's the entrance into the holiest. It's the boldness because of the blood of Jesus. We've seen the fact that God's way is death to self because of what Jesus did. He's his example there. And the fact that he allows us to, he, he, he brings that into our lives when we respond to him. There's that death to self and having a high priest over the house of God. That's his provision. What am I supposed to do? What is my responsibility? Well, first it says, let us draw near with a true heart. Haven't you noticed in Scripture how much the heart is a big deal to God? Keep thy heart with all diligence. The Bible also says in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, don't harden your hearts. Now, the heart of a man is who he is. God looks at the hidden man of the heart. That's what he says. What is a true heart? What does that mean? simply means a sincere heart. It's just somebody who's just simply yielding themselves to God. That's what it is. It's simple. It's not all about duties or proving of yourself. It's just reaching out in faith and believing God. See, a lot of times when we think about having a, a true heart, we get focused on you know, building ourselves up and trying to be somebody for the Lord. And God's just saying, all I'm looking for is somebody who, who's sincere. Somebody who just wants me. Somebody who's just completely yielded to me. Now, it's really what God is looking for is somebody who is saying this. God, I need you. I desire only you. Now, we can say that, but a sincere heart is one that's truly yielded. It's one that no matter what's going on is saying, God, you have me. Draw near with a true heart or a sincere heart. But notice it goes on. It says, a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's literally the idea of fullness of faith. It's a complete yieldedness that allows God to do all the work in me. Fullness of faith, by the way, not thought. Some of you are very analytical. And you start looking at what God is, what he wants to do in your life. You start looking at a relationship with God and you begin to analyze things and you begin to think and your mind is just going on and on and God's saying, no, I just want your heart. I just want you to yield to me. Just give me your heart. A yielded, sincere heart. And remember, God's work is supernatural. It's far above what you could ever ask or think. So when you live a life, when you live a, a Christian existence that's completely focused on, okay, what can I figure out about what God's will is tomorrow? And what can I do now? And your, your mind's constantly running and, and, and you're trying to logically see, now how does the Christian life work? And God's saying, I just want your heart. Yeah, the mind the, all comes together. But when you allow your logic or your thoughts to supersede faith, then your Christian life's in trouble and you can't, you can't draw near. Now, I appreciate even... Um, you know, some of these challenges even today. 
You know, honestly, it doesn't make sense for us as a ministry to face a challenge like this, humanly speaking. But you know what? A challenge like the bus. But you know what? God is, is wanting us to be sensitive to him. And there's times that he wants us to step out by faith and say, God, you got to do it. We're yielding to you. And as we draw nigh to him, as we yield ourselves to him, as we ask God to give us that true heart with a full assurance of faith, it's amazing what God does in that relationship. But when we say, well, that's just not going to work, it's not going to happen, there's no way. It can't, it can't. Right now, honestly, my human side of me says there's no way that we could even pursue that. But God's saying, as I lead you, I can do great things. And as you walk with him, you draw closer. And so a true heart and full assurance of faith, by the way, it's not full, fullness of feeling either. I'm telling you what, right now, some of you do not feel very good. You just don't feel even serial, feel spiritual. Your Christian walk cannot be based on feeling. You know that, but honestly, today, some of you are in trouble because you, you're, you're, you, maybe you even struggled spending time with the Lord this morning because you didn't feel like it. Okay? That's where it's got to be fullness of faith, a sincere heart, a yielded heart saying, God, you have me. Okay? Now, also, it's interesting. It says, having, uh, sorry, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, this is interesting. This is the personal application of the blood for victory over sin. Remember, we talked about just a few moments ago, Christ's blood is your standing to get into the holiest, right? And so practically speaking, for you to enjoy that relationship with God, you've got to take the cleansing that he has promised you. You have to take that cleansing by faith. You know, some of you right now this morning are not right with God. Therefore, you cannot enter into the holiest. You have to apply the blood every single day, every moment that you know that you have sinned against God. You must apply the blood practically, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. You know, the conscience is the thing that really, that we've got to allow, we've got to stay yielded to the Holy Spirit's working in that conscience because when we say no to God, 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 the farther away he becomes from us. You know, some of you still, even right now, I'm sure, just knowing how, how, how it goes, some of you are wanting to have a close relationship with God, but you're not wanting to deal with some things. So right now you're, you're, you're finding that distance growing, even though you're, you're not necessarily wanting that, but yet you're, you're not humbling yourself and saying, God, okay, I'm giving this to you. All right? So you're not drawing near with, with full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's a big deal. First John 1, 9, you all know it. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. I guess the question is, really, the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, how important is a clean conscience to us? We know in 1 Timothy, it ultimately leads to the shipwreck of our faith if we don't deal with it. You say, well, I'll be okay. I'm just going to deal with it. No, it leads you down a path of ultimately questioning God and seeing your faith shipwrecked. But right now, it's the difference of whether or not you can truly experience the presence of God. Is that a big deal? It ought to be, because he's provided the entrance into the holiest. Don't miss it. Don't miss the entrance today. Don't miss the entrance tomorrow, because you're not willing to deal with something. He's given you the blood. Apply it. And then, we're to be cleansed by the word. Look at this. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't it interesting that our bodies here are connected to the entering into the holiest? 1 Corinthians 6.19, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. 
James 4.8, in the same context of drawing nigh, you know what it says? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. That's why you need the word of God, personally. That's why, yes, I know you're supposed to be in chapel, but it's one thing to actually just be sitting here. It's another thing to be saying, God, cleanse me, change me, wash me, right? Every time you hear the word, you, God, you ought to be crying out to God, God, change me, help me, grow me, all right? That's how you draw nigh. Let us draw near with the full and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What a privilege. Are you excited about that this morning? Honestly, for some of you who have spent more time with God than you ever have before, I trust you're beginning to wake up to the fact of how glorious it is to get to know Jesus. He is a friend that we can't even describe uh, in, in, in words the more we experience him. To, to think that he would give us his peace, that he would give us his joy in times that wouldn't be able to happen. That happens when you're walking with him. And he's given you bold entrance into the holiest. Don't, don't push it aside. Accept any work that he's doing in your life. This is saying, draw near with a full, with the true heart, full assurance of faith. And then very quickly, I know I'm close to being out of time. But secondly, we find not only are we to have a dynamic relationship with God that he's already provided for us, we just need to take it. But secondly, we need to, based on that, it's going to result in an unshakable confidence in God. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. All right, hold fast. The profession, right? Your response to trials, hold fast without wavering. You're going to be tried. Your faith is going to be tested even today. How are you going to respond? If you're walking with God, you're going to hold fast without wavering. All right? Romans 5 and James 1 say we're to glory in the trials that God brings into our lives. Don't think it's strange. They're more precious than gold that perishes. How are you responding to the things that God's bringing in your life? The financial impossibilities that you're facing. The, um, some of the, the spiritual tests, maybe the, the, the challenges even in school that you're facing. How are you responding to that? You have an opportunity to hold fast without wavering. Okay, It's not just referring to truth, which is the key, but ultimately it's trusting God. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. It's really the idea of... Here of the declaration of hope. Faith here in this verse is really dealing with the idea of hope. It's, it's important to declare our hope in God. All right, Even before you see it, when you're walking with God and he's working in your life, you can hold fast the profession, the declaration of your faith, your hope, without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. Look, I have faced some things in the last few years where I was tempted to get really discouraged. Uh, they were mainly uh, physical issues, needs, where they were impossibilities. I remember there was one time, I was at a very tight moment financially, and my car, uh, my minivan that I had before the one I have now, my minivan uh, car computer in there died. It was like an $800 repair, and I thought, wow. But the moment it happened, it was snowing here, and I, my car would start, and I realized what was going on. And I remember telling my wife, it was an unusual thing God was doing in my heart at that moment with, with, with believing him. But I, I remember telling her, God's going to take care of us. It was, just a, it was a moment where I was able to declare my faith in God. By the way, it helped that I said that first. It, it, it was just of the Lord. Because what happened was, it just kept us encouraged even though it was impossible. And within two days, somebody gave, gave me a check for almost the exact amount. Just out of the blue. It was amazing. I was not expecting that. 
I'll never forget when, I won't give the whole story, but when my van was stolen out of our driveway four, four and a half years ago. And, and I remember that God had done the work in my heart beforehand, family devotions on how the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So when I pulled into the driveway, I rushed home and, and my, my, my wife came to the door and we, we understood that our van was gone. They didn't break in the house, but they got our van. It was a mob of kids that came up to our home and they were armed. Uh, anyway, it's okay in my neighborhood. It really is, okay? Uh, but anyway, there was a... Uh, there was a mob of kids that came up there, and they, uh, and they took our van. And I can remember looking at my wife and said, the first things we said was, the van's gone. And then we said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, that helped. The declaration of my hope in God, that he's the one that gives and he's the one that takes away. You, you, you can trust him. And uh, I can remember how good it was for me. And I, all night I was telling the police it. Uh, and they, they thought I had lost my mind. But I said, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like my car seats being thrown all over the neighborhood. I mean, they literally, these kids were, teens were just chucking my car seats. They were three blocks away, two blocks away. It was unbelievable. And yet the whole time, I was just able to say, God's good. God's good. Why? Because he prepared my heart. See, there was a relationship there that he had developed where I could declare, have my hope in him. And when I faced the impossibility, it completely changed my perspective. And uh, it took three months for God to provide us the, the right van, the one that we have now even, that we needed, but it was amazing. Even three months later, he provides the van. I'm so dumb. I'd never, the, uh, the other vehicle I'd had, I, I, I was given it, so I didn't even think about this. But I bought this van, and, I, and the day before I had to go to get it titled, um, uh, some just very generous family in our church, I'd never had this before, never had it since, but this family gave us $500 check. I mean, just out of the blue. I thought, well, good night. And then the next day I realized why. I forgot the, the taxes that go with it. Anyway, just dumb, you know. But I came to the time, whoa! And it was the exact amount I needed. Do you think God can do that? Absolutely. He takes even our stupidity and just works it all out. You know, he says we're sheep, so praise the Lord. But I can remember declaring, even this past April, May, after my wife and I had been led to give uh, an amount that was beyond what we ever thought we'd ever give for the land. And then I struggled for a few days as I was just in the, the turmoil of, of soul and spirit, just, 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 I was saying, Lord, help me. I need to get out of this fog. And God broke through it in my heart, and I was able to declare that he's good. He's going to provide for our church. He's going to take care of us. Well, God did the work for the church. Amen. Uh, but for us, even practically, we were thinking, thinking Lord, how, how are our kids going to do music this summer? How are we going to get all, all these things? How are we going to be able to do the things that we need to do during, during the summer? And I want to tell you, by the goodness of God, he's done everything and more than I could ever, ever, ever expect it. But Joe and I both said, you know what, we're going to believe God. This is going to be a summer where we're going to show our kids God can do it. Never forget the check we got in the mail from somebody we didn't expect. And it was a very large chunk toward our music for the summer. And then another uh, uh, unusual super scrub uh, donation came in that was double what this place normally gives. Why did that happen? I believe a lot of it was because we declared that God was going to do it. And he did. He showed up as we were drawing nigh to him. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And the key is without wavering. You can't vacillate. When God's word says it, and he says he's going to provide for your need, or he says he's going to, to work in your life and give you victory in that area, don't waver in it. Declare that God's going to do it and keep your eyes on the promises. Don't get your eyes off of that. Oh, my soul, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I love the story of Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And then lastly here, really an application that comes out of this, the third thing when it comes to the life worth living is the selfless consideration of others. Verse 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves to together. You know what, folks? When you're focused on God, you're walking with God, you have that dynamic fellowship with Him, you are declaring that you believe Him, that you trust Him, your faith is not wavering, but you're keeping, your, you're keeping a hold of the promises of God, what's going to happen is you're not going to be focused on yourself. You're going to be focused on the needs of others. Because a God focus leads to an other's focus. I, it's a very interesting passage in Romans 5 where it talks about trying of our faith. It comes out in verse 5 saying, In hope or confidence in God makes not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Entrance for you today into the Holy is not all about you experiencing God, even though that's important. It's not about a selfish existence enjoying Christ for yourself. It's all about allowing that life, the reality of Christ's life, to be lived through you to impact others. It says, let us consider one another to provoke, to challenge, to love, and to good works. It ought to be that each one of you are so walking with God that you're able to be an encouragement to one another and you're pushing each other to love and to good works. That should be the atmosphere of BCM all the time. By the way, when you're not entering into the holiest, you're not doing that. So you can't expect for the student body to move forward in the power of God unless students in the student body are meeting with God. It just doesn't happen. But then we also find something, something interesting as we close here. It says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. Now, I know you don't have a choice. You're supposed to be in church here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and other gatherings, chapel every day, almost, really. And, but I just want to challenge you with something. I believe as a as a movement, as Baptist churches, especially in our movement, we have gotten away from that drawing near. We don't have full assurance of faith. So you know what we're doing with this assembling of ourselves? We're minimizing it. You don't have long extended meetings anymore. You don't have Sunday night services in many churches anymore. And I firmly believe it's because we're not living with that full assurance of faith. We're not walking with the Lord and ultimately it comes down to but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look, if you believe in eternity, if you believe in the, 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 the coming of the Lord, if you believe the fact that that's real and that he could come at any time and you see the day approaching, the Bible says you're going to get motivated. And the motivation is, i got to walk with God. I've got to love him with my heart. I've got to believe him. And I've got to be with God's people. I've got to be provoking one another to good works. So I want to encourage, I, I, I would hate to see any of you guys Go out into the ministry as a pastor and start minimizing your church getting together. There's a lot of pressure to do that today. A lot of pressure. It was interesting. I was reading in the Baptist Bible Fellowship, which is not a sister fellowship anymore. But I was reading in there, and they were talking, bemoaning the fact. Missionaries were, they can't get into churches because there's only one service. Sunday morning. That was very interesting. They're having a hard time getting support because they can't get into the churches. They're not open. All right? Why do we need each other? Well, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more. We needed ever, if we've ever needed to be together as God's people, if we've ever needed the iron sharpening iron, the provoking one another to good works, to hear the word of God preached, it's today. Look at our nation. We need to be together, not just for ourselves, but ultimately to reach this country. But assembling of yourselves is not a small deal. I really get very, very disappointed as I hear my generation excusing it. Let, let, let me give you a practical thing here quickly. Um, if you can, at all possible, I know sometimes the way it happens, but when the Lord allows you to be married, make church a priority on your honeymoon. 
It's a simple little thing. But you know what my wife and I did? I'm so glad we did. We got married on Tuesday night here at Falls, and on Wednesday night we were at church in Phoenix. And it was interesting. The pastor actually made a deal of it because he couldn't believe that we did it. And he actually said, church, I want you to see this as an example. It wasn't anything about us, but he, he made the point. But here's what was interesting. We also decided we're going to do something else. We're going to go souling on our honeymoon. So we actually got to a church up in Flagstaff on a Wednesday night. The pastor, good man, Pastor Miller, he was kind of surprised. Okay, whatever you need. You know? And I'm like, no, we want to go out. So we had a good time. Actually, we're not from this area. We're on our honeymoon. And uh, that was a good, interesting transition in some of the doors. Uh, but they're like, you guys are nuts. But we actually had an opportunity. We almost led a, we almost led a man to Christ. But we spent about an hour and a half going solely. You know? But when it, co- when it comes to priority, let me encourage you. Put, if you're really walking with God and you love him and you are walking in the full assurance of faith, something like that's not going to be that strange to you. And I'm not saying that we were super Christians. We have so much more to grow. But that to us was important. I'm glad it was. It was bedrock. Being with God's people and, and being a part of his cause. So, what are you living for? The life worth living is walking with God. The life worth living is having a full confidence in God that comes from that walk. And ultimately, a life worth living is not living for yourself, but living for others. You know, when you come to church, you're not just living for yourself, I hope, but it's all about what God's doing in the body. Okay? And it's how God can use you to be a blessing. So, let me just ask you here at, this, at the end of this message here this morning, what are you living for? Are you living the life that's worth living? Please uh, bow your heads as we finish.